listening to Tea Times with Tunes, where I interview some of your favorite characters in movies and books as they connect some of their works with one another. Today's episode is sponsored by The Oasis. No, this is not a dream, it's your escape from reality. A huge thanks to Mr. James Halliday and Mr. Ogden Morrow. Without your contributions, our little production would still be a project for a class. We'll be talking about the film adaptation, Ready Player One, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, The Wizard of Oz, and Back to the Future. Now on today's agenda, we'll be focusing on the topic, intertextuality, and how it builds off of Ready Player One. Now by definition, intertextuality is the way that a text can relate to, influence, shape, and redefine another text. They can build off of one another, borrow from one another, and even reference one another, and they create a deeper meaning as they cross over. Now we have a few characters with us here today from the movies, and we'll be starting with introductions, starting on my left. Hello, my name is Wade Watts, and my avatar's name is Parzival. Hi, my name is Samantha Cook, and my avatar's name is Artemis, with a 3 and 7 E. Good evening, I am James Halliday. Oh, and uh, what do you do? Oh, I am the creator of the Oasis. Good evening, everybody. My name is Willy Wonka, and I'm with him. Hello, my name is Og, or that's what my friends call me at least. I'm the co-creator of Oasis. I've been known to be called the great and powerful Og. No one calls you that. The internet does. Salutations! I am Oz, the great and powerful. Very similar to my companion over here, except for more great and powerful. Hey, I'm Marty McFly, and I'm stoked to be here. I'm trying not to be a fanboy here, but it's an honor to meet you. Uh, no problem. From what I've heard, you got a thing for the 80s. Everything about them, sir. Uh, Mr. McFly, uh, Marty. And them, Mr. Wonka, Mr. Oz, Miss Samantha Cook, and Mr. Wade Watts are not here with us in person. I thank you all for giving your time up today, whether it be in person or on the phone. Now, the issue on the table involving the movie Ready Player One and its hidden references galore, and what they really mean. It's a whole lot to take in, but I think we're gonna have fun. I know. Did you read it? Did you read the book? Isn't she supposed to be asking the questions? You know, actually, I didn't read the book. What? I know, I know. I really should. But I love the movie, and I love the music, the animations, and you guys, you guys were phenomenal. I'll give a quick rundown on the movie. Nothing to spoil here, and if you read the books, it follows closely. In the year 2045, there is a virtual reality universe created by the strange yet brilliant James Halliday. And after he dies, he leaves a final Easter egg hidden somewhere in the game. Our heroes, our hero, Wade Watts, along with other gunters, raised to be the first to the egg. In the end, they all must team up to fight against Nolan Sorrento and his large corporation, IOI, who wishes to control Oasis all for himself. But what I wanted to touch on today was the story of the film adaptation and what key elements and references from your movies that helped add meaning to it. So first, we have our main characters, and I'll start with you, Wade, because you're closer to me. Um, your name is already so interesting. Can you explain your name? My real name or my Oasis name? Both, preferably. All right, well, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll give as much as I can. 
So my name is Wade Watson. My father named me that because it was like a superhero's alter ego. You know, Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, even Clark Kent. Yeah, and what I found interesting when going over this movie and looking at the reviews for it, we are literally given, as viewers, that this is your story and that you are the hero. You are literally the hero of your own story. It's a subtle, not-so-subtle reference and a cool way of introducing you to us. And your brain is going to do backflips at this. So my oasis name is Parzival, which is based off of Percival, one of King Arthur's knights of the round table. He sought out to find the Holy Grail. I know. I could see it on your face. It just makes so much sense now. Similar to Percival, you dedicated your life, well, a portion of it, to finding Halliday's Easter egg. It's so brilliant. And even in your costume on the back of your vest, it's Excalibur. Another reference to King Arthur. Wow, my mind is literally doing backflips. I know. All right, all right. I don't want to waste any time. So, moving on to you, Sam. While there's nothing too special about my actual name, I'm no Lois Lane who needs saving, and you can kind of tell by my avatar's name. Artemis is similar, or I guess, related to Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. I had a feeling that that's what it was. You're one of the few female gunters. Top gunters, that is. Oh, um, for our listeners back at home, a gunter is an egg hunter in the Oasis. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. Now, I wanted to move on to certain topics to discuss with you guys. There are so many hidden gems, and we don't have a whole lot of time to discuss them all. So, um, this is the first topic for you all. Have you all, by any chance, looked at the title screen for the movie? Yeah, we all went to the screening. Well, a few of us have. I just really don't remember it. Here, I'll pull it up quickly. Uh, now, do you guys notice anything striking about the logo, by any chance? Anyone? Any suggestions? Any takers? Well, the logo itself is a maze, and that leads you straight to the Easter egg. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. How come you didn't notice that? This is your movie. I actually fell asleep with the parts that didn't really have me in it. The whole movie was basically about you. Well, not all of it. Listen, I'm an old dude, and sometimes we sleep. What I find interesting, that yes, this is about you, but it's also about finding your egg. Very similar to you, Mr. Wonka. Oh, it's true. I needed a successor. So I sent out five golden tickets, and whoever should in turn be worthy and survive the trip shall have all my fortune. And Mr. Charlotte Bucket turned me down the first time, but we made a compromise. I guess you can say very similar to how Wade made a compromise with Mr. Og over there. Yeah. You agreed to close down the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you took the company and its fortune. <laughs> Two billionaires looking for a worthy child to run their company, and own all of its wealth. Oh, another thing you could say about the logo is that it's similar to Adventure, the last game that Wade had to play in order to get to the egg. It was also one of the first games ever to have a hidden Easter egg. Ah, you all are stealing my thunder, but also very important. Now, I want to stay outside the movie for a bit. In one of the trailer songs, that is what sold the deal for me for watching this movie. It's a souped-up, totally techno version of Pure Imagination from 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, wow. Is it good? One of the best, my boy. Can we hear it? Oh, I actually have it right here. Let me pull it up.
This might be my next favorite song. Next to what? Why, next to my version of it. Oh, I also wanted to bring up the importance of music throughout this whole movie. Now, the person in charge of the score was none other than Alan Silvestri. And for those of you who know, don't say anything. I'd like the others to take a guess. I believe that'll be myself and Mr. Wonka over here. Yep, come on, just take a guess. If you insist, hmm, is he a composer of sorts? Yes. Oh my gosh, you're right on the nose. Well, I was going to guess that. We all had a composer for our movies, too. Yes, but were they as well-known and iconic as mine? I don't think so, Wonka. Oh, but that's where you're wrong. Gentlemen, both of you are well-known. Now can we get back to the podcast? <laughs> Thank you. What I meant is that Alvin Silvestri is the same composer who did Back to the Future, a subtle yet hidden message that pulls the story along. I say this because Steven Spielberg usually works with John Williams. John Williams? Who the devil is that? He is basically the composer for any Steven Spielberg movie. He's a legend. Precisely. It was all intentional when Spielberg decided to work with Alan rather than John. There was a purpose that would help propel the story along and make nerds go crazy. There are also other 80s and late 1970s songs that go along with the score, like uh, Jump by Van Halen, We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister, You Make My Dreams by Hollow Notes, and Even Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. It wasn't just some techno feature of songs that Spielberg wanted to use. Spielberg and Silvestri wanted us to know that the 80s is important and will continue to be important and play an important role throughout the whole movie. Speaking of Spielberg, one of the most highly decorated American producers in the business. I wanted to bring up a few points that I noticed in the movie, and I brought Marty here to help me. There are a thousand and one, well, not really, references to Steven Spielberg in the movies he's done. In fact, I believe he's one of the executive producers for Back to the Future, right? Actually, yes, he did. Wonderful to work with. Yeah, I went to see Ready Player One, and I have a few things to mention, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Please, go ahead. So, in the movie, and maybe these two over here can help me remember, but there was a Zetmechus cue that was used in the movie. Oh yeah, wasn't there a scene at the dance club with Wade and Sam when they were under attack and... Previously, we decided to get the Zemeckis cube, which is used to turn back time. Another reference to Back to the Future, as Zemeckis was the director for Back to the Future. And going back in time refers to Back to the Future. Yeah, and if you listen close enough, you can hear a bit of the score from Back to the Future as we go back in time. Wow, I didn't even notice the music until you brought it up. And going back to Back to the Future... Wait, you used the DeLorean throughout the whole movie. Oh, and for the listeners back at home who don't know what the DeLorean is, it's the time machine that's used to travel back and forth in time. The one that Marty here uses, with the help of Doc. I saw that, and it was way cooler to see someone else driving. I also noticed a detail that maybe others caught too, but on the dates of the DeLorean, it's the same departure date and destination date, but it is 
present of 2045 where the movie takes place. I had to look up another thing to include in this episode, and it's stretching a little bit, but I guess you can say that the opening credits for Ready Player One are kind of similar to the opening credits for um, Back to the Future. But the only reason that I have you here today, Marty, and the only reason that Back to the Future is kind of important for this movie is because it is an, an iconic 80s movie that people still love to this day and can recognize, and it's even more perfect for this nerd's galore of pop culture references. Also, it's very important to Steven Spielberg, as he had a play in this um, the project. And another thing I mentioned earlier that I'm trying to correct myself on is that I said that he is has a lot of references from his own movies in this. When in the case, he really doesn't. Only a couple things that you can really point out. Yeah, there's a T-Rex in the racing from Jurassic Park, a true classic. There were a few more hidden ones that I had to search further for. But I think Steven Spielberg didn't really want to focus on his movies. This is about you guys and Ready Player One. His elements might be references, but they don't really help build up the story or add anything to it in any way. Well, except for Back to the Future. They might, you know, get some action like the T-Rex scene, but it was intertextuality that he wanted to use in his movie. And unless his movies added something that altered the way the movie plays out, then it wasn't really needed. And I think that takes a whole lot for a big producer like himself to hold back and let the other story shine through. Tea Times with Tunes is brought to you by the Emerald City. Come down to see the wizard and he'll make your wildest dreams come true. You want a heart? Come on, see the wizard. You want some courage? Come see the wizard. You want some brains? Go to school. It's not that hard to find. Just follow the yellow brick road. And when you're ready to come home, just close your eyes and click your heels three times. Well, it might require you to get some ruby slippers. And I happen to have a pair on right now. It wasn't easy. I had to kill a witch first. But they shouldn't be hard to find. So whenever you're ready, Head on down to the Yellow Brick Road and you'll find your way at Emerald City. Now, I wanted to bring an og into this one because I feel like you're very underrated, but maybe that's why you're so important. Thanks, I guess. With all due respect, Mr. Morrow, you are the Steve Wozniak to Halliday's Steve Jobs. Oh, great. Another reference I don't have a clue about. Don't worry, Mr. Oz. I'll get to you shortly. For the listeners back home, Steve Wozniak, or Woz, according to the internet, was the co-founder for Apple, one of the most powerful companies in this world, which is very similar to the Oasis and you, Mr. James Halliday, seeming as you are the face and the brains behind the whole operation, while Mr. Morrow was more on the behind-the-scenes side. You can kind of see that throughout the whole movie, how Halliday was the face for magazine, or brilliant yet odd creator, and I was the sidekick of sorts. You were my Robin. Thanks. Hopefully without the short shorts. Another interesting thing about you, Mr. Morrow, is that you eventually left the company, which is very similar to Mr. Wozniak. I guess Spielberg kind of knew that. I knew that this propelled the movie forward because we see the downfall of Morrow and Halliday as they have a outing, which the viewers can see by how one is praised and the other is, like him, given money beyond his wildest dreams. But his recognition is minimal. 
And to bring this back to Oz, similar to how Mr. Morrow left a company, you left Kansas. This is true. I had to leave. There was nothing left for me in that silly old place. Yep. I too felt there was nothing left I could do. And I felt that people were only using the Oasis to escape from reality. But still, I had my out for the people in Oasis. I took the avatar of Curator, which kind of makes me similar to Oz over here. Oh, really? What makes you great and powerful? Well, it isn't mentioned in the movie, but am I allowed to say it? I'll allow it. Though I don't want us to get too far off topic. Don't worry, I'll connect it back to the movie. So, uh, and stay with me, everybody. So, in the book Ready Player One, Og is all-seeing and helps Wade, without really helping him. Bringing this back to the movie adaptation, I am the curator, which is my mask or facade, like Oz. Though I am not so powerful in the movie, I overlook and watch over Wade, similar to how you watch Dorothy. Well played, OG. Well is true. I don't interfere with Dorothy, but I did wish to help her, even though I knew I couldn't do much. I am powerful in my appearance, but like you, I am just a man. One of the last things I would like to mention actually involves you, Mr. Halliday. Uh, Mr. Halliday? What? I'm sorry, I must have dozed off a bit. Yes, what questions do you have? I found it strange how you, the brilliant, powerful, and according to everyone in the whole world, the most wonderful person ever, and you chose a Lex Luthor quote as your favorite quote. Lex Luthor iconically being known as one of Superman's greatest enemies. And Sorrento, the main bad guy in this movie, chose his avatar in the Oasis as the Man of Steel himself. But a sort of dark twist. His famous curl and strong chin are hard to ignore, but it's Superman nonetheless. So my question is, why are you the Lex Luthor in your world? Though, keep in mind, I am aware that your character or your avatar in the Oasis is not Lex Luthor himself, but it's hard to deny that Lex Luthor and Superman go hand in hand, so I'm wondering, why him? Do you view yourself as Lex Luthor? Some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. From Superman 1978 by Crop Dream and Hackman. You see, Lex Luthor isn't just some silly cartoon villain who battles against Superman. He is brilliant, one of the most intelligent people in the world. He is an engineer, and he is complex. He isn't just your run-of-the-mill type of supervillain. He starts off as a man and turns into something more. Wow, that's the most I've ever heard you speak, and I've known you for most of my life. All I'm trying to say, and it goes back to this quote, I am but a simple man, but the world saw something in me that holds the secrets to the universe. I am more than just the great book that is War and Peace. I am the most complicated piece of gun wrapper there is, and that is why I guess I am viewed as Lex Luthor. Though I wouldn't call myself a villain, just a complicated man. That was more than I could ever ask for. It's perfect. Uh, but I just have one more question. I couldn't bring in Sorrento, but perhaps you might be able to answer for him. Why is his avatar Superman? I can't really speak for Sorrento, but I do have a theory. So Strap Up is going to be a bumpy ride. Superman, though a hero and a god among men, he is rather plain. He represents good and all that is good. He's a good country boy and possibly one of the most powerful beings in DC Comics. Sorrento must view himself as a self-righteous man that saves the day and gets the girl. In this case, that will be my creation, the Oasis. The movie, however, 
Though he is shown to be Superman, shows a darker side of the Man of Steel. He is dressed in a crisp business suit, glowing not-so-kind eyes and a deep, booming voice. He is the villain within a hero. And though we as viewers already know Sorrento before his avatar is even introduced, before the Man of Steel was even popping up on the screen, Spielberg wanted you to get into his head how he views himself. And I find that very interesting because he chose him to be Superman for a reason. Superman, one of the most iconic heroes of all time. And now, due to Sorrento and his characterization as he is, crisp business suit, hard look, glowing eyes of evil, Superman will now be painted on as a villain due to this image that Sorrento created. It's honestly so brilliant and well done. And on that note, this is the end of the episode. Man, I lost track of time. I wish most of our interviews went like this. I got lost in it all. I know. Can we come back for more 80s-related stuff? <laughs> we'll see. Um, but any last thoughts or ideas, anyone? It truly was a fascinating movie. I would definitely recommend it and watch it a bunch more. You really mean that, Mr. McFly? I do. And just call me Marty. This might be the best day of my life. Next to falling in love with you, Sam. Mm-hmm. Nice save. But I guess I would say that it's interesting how many books, movies, and anything in general can add meaning to your own thing. A very cool way of looking at things. It was nice to hear other people's views on the movie, and I agree with Sam. Very cool. I don't really have much to say, but I'm glad to be here and talk about our movie, More Behind the Glitz and Glam. I will have to see the movie now, or read the book at least. I'm afraid I won't understand most of the references. That's alright, old-timer. I'll watch it with you. It was a wonderful movie. Creative and beautifully done. I'd like to thank you all again for coming and for your time. And thank you, listeners, for sticking around with us and gossiping over tea. For any suggestions on what I should talk about next, uh, go to teatimeswithtunes.com. Once again, teatimeswithtunes.com. This has been Teen Times with Tunes. I'm your host, Jalen Phillips. Have a great day. Tea Times with Tunes was an idea I had a long time ago, though the name is quite recent. Production was done by me, your host, Jalen Phillips. And as guest speakers, we had Brian as James Hallett, Erica as Parzival or Wade Watts, Sam as Ogden Morrow, Maitri as Samantha Cook, Avery as Willy Wonka, Emmanuel as Oz, and Jordan as Marty McFly. A huge thanks to my friends and family who helped me with this production. Couldn't have done it without you. And a huge disclaimer, do not go to the website Tea Times with Tunes. It is not active, and it will not be responding. Though, I am open to suggestions, just for fun. Hope you all have a great day, and that you enjoyed this small